Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Well, welcome back to No One Fights Alone podcast. Austin has uh, bailed out on us again today. For you listeners out there, welcome back. We're glad to uh, have you join us again. And today I've got a real treat, uh, a, a guy that I'm just getting to know. His name is Reed Hasty. Reed, welcome to the No One Fights Alone podcast, man. Brad, it's good to be here, man. Thank you. I am. Austin, sorry we're missing out on you. Oh, yeah, man. Austin, he's he's bailing out all the time. He's just, he's becoming a big deal. That's what, that's the problem is. I don't want, I'm <laughs> glad he's not here to uh, hear me say that. But uh, yeah, he's becoming quite the big deal. So yeah, let me, uh, let me do a little intro. Here, here's who Reed is. Uh, Reed is the... Uh, uh, a leadership trainer with the uh, Mighty Oaks Foundation. We're going to hear a little bit about uh, Mighty Oaks. I'm, man, I'm I'm ecstatic about this conversation. Uh, but, but uh, Reed is an overseer of Outpost here in Oklahoma. He's also a team lead on the Ukraine International uh, uh, Mighty Oaks team. Uh, Reed has spent uh, nine years in the U.S. Army, combat uh, veteran of the Iraq, uh, tour of Iraq. Uh, married, 10 years married, fixing to be 11 years married to Amber, two daughters, two grandsons. Did I get that right? You got it, man. Man, that is a, uh, that's quite a little resume and congratulations soon to be on your 11 years. That's, uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Most of that resume is actually true too. So, <laughs> well, you know, you go to these events and they're like, uh, resumes for 10 minutes and you're like, and, and I, I love yeah. this. You, I, when I ask you about it, you're like, Hey man, short and quick, this is what it is. This is what's up. I love that. What, uh, what does Reed hasty do for like time off? Cause you just said, Hey, I gotta be off and go pick up some kids here in just a little bit. What is, uh, what is Reed's time consumed with just running around chasing kids and, and healing lives? Yeah. So I, uh, man, I love to be in the gym. Uh, I love to train in Brazilian jujitsu, uh, but most of my time is with kids, grandkids, uh, or my brothers and sisters in arms at Mighty Oaks, uh, either uh, national, international, or locally, uh, working with those with those men. So that's uh, that's that's pretty much. That's it. too cool because the because uh, one of the lines I loved uh, was the last line you gave me on your bio, which was a God fearing man who loves Jesus Christ. Man, you are one passionate dude. It just comes out in you. And thanks, thanks, Brad. It wasn't. It wasn't always that way, though. <laughs> it wasn't always that way, man. It's definitely been an evolution of uh, uh, of character. Well, let's dive into that a little bit. Let let's uh, let's just take the li- let's just take the listeners on a journey. Tell us, uh, man. Let's let's just kind of start off with uh, maybe how you got into the military. Yeah, man. Let's jump in the time machine and uh, let's go. But I'm going to back all the way up to well, the year is 1997. Don't worry, we got fast right forward on. buttons. Okay, so <laughs> but uh, I, you know that was uh, I was 17 years old, man. And uh, I actually, uh, you know, I'm going into the military stuff, uh, you know, to explain how do I get in Mighty Oaks, you know, because that's uh, that, that was originally a military, uh, exclusively a military ministry. But when I was 17, I actually wasn't planning on joining the military. That wasn't, you know, there's a lot of guys that I served with and a lot of guys I worked with at Mighty Oaks. And, uh, you know, their story is, hey, it started when I was a kid. I knew I wanted to be a soldier or Marine. And it wasn't that way for me. I was actually... Um, Believe it or not, I was actually, I was good in academics, and uh, when I was seventeen, between my junior and senior year, I was uh, I was in my first semester at college. I'd left Oklahoma, and I was going to uh, Louisiana Tech, and I was enrolled in pre med. I was getting that knocked out, and the plan was to come back to Oklahoma, uh, which I did, and and execute my final my, that you know that senior year 
of high school. Uh, so uh, before, you know, before that school year started, some friends and I, we were in a neighborhood that we should not have been in. I was in a place I shouldn't have been. I don't know if any of the listeners have ever been somewhere they shouldn't have been. Before. All of them. Uh, but that's usually where you, yeah, everybody. Well, that's where, that's where you find trouble. And the long story short, in this bad neighborhood, there was a drug dealer there and he mistaken me for somebody else, um, someone that he'd had an altercation with. And uh, man, this guy hit me in the head with a baseball bat. So my right ear, it uh, basically exploded. And um, man, my friends, they threw me in the, uh, in the car, rushed me to the emergency room and cat skin. They sewed my ear back together. And that's how I started my senior year of high school. Uh, man, first day back into high school, I got a I, mean, I got a turban on my head. I got a full head wrap and, uh, man, my ears deformed. It, it looks, it's, it's bad. Um, so what happened next? Well, what was interesting is after, after I took that, uh, that head injury, my behavior really started to change. I was, um, very erratic, high risk behavior. Um, I was, uh, I was staying awake for several days and, uh, I, I don't, I don't mean on, on drugs, man. I just, I couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. And then I would crash for a full 24 hours and sleep for 24 hours. And it became this really weird uh, series of wave tops and swells, like back to the erratic behavior. Two months, exactly two months after that head injury, I'm sitting in front of an army recruiter and I liked what he had to say, which was we're paying bonuses for engineers. My older brother was an engineer. You can follow in his footsteps. And as soon as you graduate, you'll be up and about. And uh, yeah, June 22nd, 1998. I landed at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And um, man, funny thing, I, was, I grew part of that was I, I grew up on a farm here in Oklahoma. And uh, man, I'm really tired of cattle. So I'm going to run off to the army, you know, <laughs> and uh, some guy, if you listen to this and you, you know, you were at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, you know that when you get picked up, it's in a trailer, it's in a cattle car. So that's the first bit of irony. That's how that military story starts is, uh, is with, with irony. Uh, but Man, basic training was a breeze, man. I just force gumped right through that. Did exactly what I was told. And uh, man, fast forward. I promise we'd fast forward. It was toward the end of my first contract. I was almost done. Man, the Twin Towers plus Building 7 came down to the ground. And I'm including this part of the story because this, a lot of my, a lot of my brothers and sisters, that day is part of their, of their story of how they got in the military. Many run down to the recruiting office. I was already in, but because of that, I re-enlisted and then boom, fast forward again, it's 2004 and I'm deployed with the 120th engineer combat battalion. We roll into a place called the Sunni triangle, which is, uh, just there in the heart of, in the heart of Iraq in 2004. When we arrived my section, we were, we were assigned or we picked up two armored D nine bulldozers. So, um, basically think a, a Caterpillar D nine bulldozer which is huge, but it's up armored by uh, the Israeli uh, aerospace company. I forgot the name. So that was handed off to us from uh, the Israeli Defense Force. And what we did with those machines is we went into Fallujah and there was a place there called the Mech Compound. And we were tasked with securing this place. There was uh, what I would describe as an ocean of old Russian tanks and equipment surrounding the Mech. And we were out there uh, building and clearing sectors of fire. And we were seeking out the insurgents rocket positions that they were using to fire rockets and mortars into the mech. Uh, and we were destroying those positions and, and picking, picking, pushing all that back and, and uh, building firing lanes uh, for the observation points around the mech. Uh, 
so that's what that looked like. And uh, when we weren't doing engineering tasks or QRF, uh, well, I'll, I'll mention uh, we were we were actually, man, we were like luggage in Iraq. We were, I think, the longest. I was there for twelve months. Our section was there for twelve months, um, and I think the longest we were in any place at a t- at one time was six weeks, and that was with uh, First Infantry Division. So we were on the move a lot, um, but uh, we were in and out of Fallujah three times. Uh, First and Second Battle of Fallujah, also known as uh, Operation Vigilant Resolve and Operation Phantom Fury, and then we went in a third time for uh, we were part of Spartacus Battalion. And Spartacus Battalion was the uh, security overwatch for the uh, 2005, January 2005 uh, parliamentary elections. And uh, some people remember that. Uh, they remember that iconic blue thumb where we, you know, they, they, dip, dipped your, they dipped their fingers in, in blue ink once they'd voted. Probably a more secure system than what we have in America. But uh, we were providing overwatch uh, uh, during that, which uh, that was actually pretty quiet. I only, I only mentioned it because of historical context. So when we're doing those type of jobs, a quick reactionary force or uh, uh, security, we were running convoy operations. So we spent a lot of time on the highway. And, uh, you know, what did that look like? Uh, you know, life on the highway in Iraq in 2004. Uh, you know, they called it the Wild West. <laughs> Ironically, um, rules of engagement were confusing and the mission wasn't clear. Man, the overall conditions of Fallujah and the rest of Iraq, well, I wasn't able to leave them an honest five-star Google review. Um, so I don't recommend you vacation there. Uh, but as you know, as difficult as, as that situation was, um, you know, I managed to make it worse. I actually got into uh, quite a bit of trouble over there. Uh, I decided that drinking would be the way that I would deal with combat stress. And uh, that turned into quite a bit of legal trouble. So um, anyway, all of that being said, you know, that 12 months, as difficult as it was, as challenging as it was, Man, it was really the worst part of the whole deployment was the flight back home. That was the most challenging. The guys and gals that have been in in Iraq and uh, I didn't serve in Afghanistan, but I think uh, we share a lot of the same things. It's like, you know, no matter how much you shake your boots out when you get home, there's always there's always more sand. You just can't seem to get rid of it. And you go from running convoy operations in the Sunni Triangle to dropping your kid off at school, you know, in a matter of a few days. There's very little decompression time. Uh, in between that. And um, I'll also say that, you know, in that time in 2004, you know, we were right after the first wave in um, and then it was insurgent, you know, guerrilla warfare in that 04 timeframe that year, you know, a lot of the standard operating procedure was built off of at least started evolving so quick, um, man, I'm so out of date on all of my training. Uh, but, you know, that all began in, in in those deployments and learning, you know, from what we were doing on the ground there, man, returning back home, I was dealing with a lot of physical stuff and, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to a few of your podcasts back and forgive me. I forgot this, uh, this gentleman's name. I can't remember if he's a firefighter or a police officer, but he was talking about cumulative back pain and how much that had affected him. Um, I wish I could remember his name. A Cu- couple, couple of shows back. Is that Chris Fields? Um, was that who that was? Possibly. I, one of the things that really stuck with me on that, he was talking about, it wasn't just a, like a, he didn't just go to work and get injured. It was cumulative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just how that affected him psychologically. And when I, when I heard that, even though mine wasn't cumulative, I mean, I know exactly when I got hurt, 
uh, man, I could really, I could really feel that guy's pain of, man, I'll just say this, if, <laughs> you know, back injuries are, back injuries are pretty common, man. And uh, you want to know like how society values you, you know, hurt your back and then see, <laughs> you know, see what that does, not only to your self-esteem, but the perception of you as a man. So for sure, man, I feel for that guy. Uh, thankfully, man, I believe God healed my back, but back to that injury, man, that happened, that happened downrange and it wasn't anything heroic. It was just a, it was just an accident. So that's pretty common. But what's uncommon is, man, the way that that was dealt with in a place called uh, Takata, Iraq, is which is where I was at when I got hurt. Man, you're looking at a bottle of Flexeril. You know, it was one or two days light duty. I can't remember. And then it's full body armor, full combat load. You got back in your truck because the mission is bigger than your back. So, man, just, you know, suck it up and drive on. So returning back home, I'm dealing with a lot of physical pain um, from the back injury. In addition to that, uh, my my older brother, who was also in the army, we were both dealing with vaccine injuries. So it was from the uh, anthrax vaccine. And that's uh, for those not, you know, if you're not familiar with that, that's a five shot series. And my brother, like I said, who's also in the army. We happened to be on the same shot cycle and we took number three on the exact same day. And we both ended up in separate emergency rooms. What were, The symptoms were 104 degree temperature, a rash from ankle to wrist and Man, we were, both of us had the same complaint. Our urine, when they did a urinalysis, it looked, the best way I can describe it's egg drop soup. So we're both getting, we're both in the emergency room uh, on that third shot cycle. Fortunately, the army deployed both of us downrange and they didn't, they didn't push the other two. They, uh, they waived the other two vaccines. So we, so we deployed into Iraq, not fully inoculated, but we're still both dealing, both of us are still dealing with the after effects of that. I say all that because I'm down at the VA hospital a lot. Uh, it's not, I'm not a stranger to the hospital down there. So I'm down there doing physical therapy for my back and, you know, they're monitoring uh, my urine uh, and what's going on uh, in the urinary tract and everything. But I started having, I started having panic attacks and I actually, I actually thought that was, I actually thought I was having seizures and that sounds really, that sounds silly. But when we came off of that rotation in 2005, that initialism that we all know now, PTSD. It wasn't part of the mainstream conversation. It wasn't part of any debriefing that I had. So I had I had no clue what that was. So I think I'm I think I'm having seizures. You know, I'm an engineer. I probably took a nap in some depleted uranium. I'll go down to the dock. I'll get it checked out. And I got down there and I was diagnosed panic disorder, uh, agoraphobia, bipolarism, and of course uh, post traumatic stress disorder and later traumatic brain injury and. Uh, and through the healthcare system, I did get some good help. Uh, man, over at Oklahoma State University, I've done over 47 hours in oxygen decompression chambers, and it was man, I, it was it was helpful. I'm very thankful that uh, I was treated well and I got to do that. But what didn't what didn't help was what I call the pharmaceutical cocktail. Uh, so I, I took this new regiment of these medica medications and uh, tempted to return back to the civilian world. And so, man, what that looked like was, well, my first job, I lost my first job because I was unable to build effective relationships with customers or coworkers. So I got a job that didn't require me to build any relationships. I got a, I got a job um, operating uh, a backhoe. In that job, I, man, I made, a, I made a mistake. I started to isolate myself because you could do that in that job. And I lost that job because I missed too many work days. And the reason I missed a lot of work is at the time, um, my 
my wife at the time, I, I was married before, she would drive me down to the Jack C. Montgomery VA hospital in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and escort me into the emergency room and say something to the effect of, you know, I'm back with him. You have to do something with him before, you know, he, he kills somebody or he kills himself. So she hand me off to the triage nurse and they take me up to the fifth floor of the hospital where they give me a tune up. And uh, you know, if you're not familiar with a tune up, that's when they keep you for a week and they adjust your medication, send you back out in the world. Like this part in this journey, this is the low point. And I don't know if anybody listening has got a low point in their story. You know, um, if you're in that low point right now and you're hearing this, man, I'm going to tell you to do not give up hope. But the reason I say that was my low point is what just seemed like a flash. I went from being a non-commissioned officer serving in the theater of combat. So we were in the big show and it felt like the whole world was watching what we were doing in Fallujah. I wasn't, I was responsible not just for myself, but other people and a lot of equipment. Uh, there was a lot on my shoulders and it felt, man, I had a purpose in this world. And just in a flash, I'm sitting in a VA hospital and I'm not allowed to have boot laces and I'm wearing these goofy scrubs that look like pajamas, you know, cause they, they think I'm going to hang myself. Let me, let me dive in here a little bit and, 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 and just ask a couple of, uh, of, uh, clarifying questions. So you alluded to picking up drinking, uh, while you were while you're uh, deployed, is that drinking still, is that still going on when you're returning? What this, this, this chapter, this area, this, this segment of time that you're in when you're, especially your low place um, is, is drinking a part of that right now? Or is this something you took a break from and picked up later? You know, let me give a little more, let me give a little more detail if we have time and I'll talk more about what is that? What did that look like in Iraq? Okay. Well, in, in addition to that, what were, what were some of the things that were really, what, what were, uh, maybe, maybe for a little context, uh, did you have friends and you were getting rid of them? Does this look like isolation? Did this look like, uh, acting out maybe anger outbursts? I mean, what, what, what was that? What did Reed look like in those days? Does that make sense? Uh, we're talking about during, during the deployment. No, when this, when you were showing up at this low spot, right? We're building to towards this, oh, this, yeah. uh, this low spot. Is this just isolation? I don't want to see anybody. Is this acting? Uh, what? Tell me a little bit more about what that look, what Reed looked like then. Yeah, I was definitely isolated. Definitely with withdrawn. Um, almost like I just wasn't participating uh, in life. Sure, and. Uh, uh, that drinking was, was continuing then. Um, and it was just self medication. It wasn't, uh, I mean, it was drinking alone. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's the type of, that's the type of drinking that it was. Um, and it wasn't even something that I really enjoyed. Sure. Um, but it was just, yeah. I mean, self medication is the best way that, that sure, I can explain absolutely. it. Anything to forget about this, anything to get my mind. Um, off of something besides uh, not only Iraq, but this new transition that I find myself in uh, back here in the world and having to, to look forward and moving, moving into the real world. At this time, we would like to extend our sincere gratitude to the sponsors of this podcast, Chateau Health and Wellness. We truly appreciate their unwavering support in our mission to raise awareness and provide valuable resources for those struggling with PTSD and mental health issues. For many first responders, the daily stressors and traumatic experiences they encounter on the job can take a heavy toll on their mental health. It is often difficult for them to seek help or even acknowledge that they may be struggling. 
That's why organizations like Chateau Health and Wellness are so important. They specialize in providing tailored treatment plans for first responders, recognizing the unique challenges they face, and offering specialized therapy for PTSD and mental health issues. By partnering with Chateau Health and Wellness, we hope to not only raise awareness about the importance of mental health and first responders, but also encourage those who may be struggling to seek help and support. We believe that by prioritizing our mental well-being, first responders can better serve and protect our communities. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so we're at a low spot. What does where where are we going from here? I mean, this is this is a bad time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh man, I think the doctors had good intentions and they'd always send me back into the world uh when I would leave the hospital. Um so uh, I remember I thought that I thought going back to school, like maybe this is the answer. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to school. And I was in a program called Voc Rehab. It's a wonderful program for veterans. I went and enrolled in a local community college because that's what veterans do. And I mean, they tried to enroll me. So I'm, I'm, I think I'm 25, maybe I'm 26 at, at this point. Uh, Sergeant in the army recently returning from that, from that combat deployment. Remember they, they tried to enroll me in a class called leadership development with, with freshmen and, uh, man, it, it didn't work out for them. So, uh, ultimately I was removed from that program. Uh, I was removed from voc rehab and I got a, I got this letter from an official letter from the government says you are not a feasible candidate to rehabilitate, which is another way of saying, uh, you are too mentally and physically broken for us to invest any more money in into so holy cow what in the what has to go through your mind when you read that letter you know what i (laughs) read validation and then that was going to be my new identity Uh, i now had an official letter from the government and too broken to fix uh that was that was my new identity this is my lot in life here i I am i'm a broken toy i'm done i got i got i got the paperwork and i I can prove it the government uh, says so yeah 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 man so um it was from there that things spiraled out of control. So I was, you know, divorced. I lost custody of my daughter and my house went into foreclosure. And I ended up, I ended up going back to the family farm that I grew up on. And fortunately my brother and his wife, they were there to take me in. They were living on the farm as well. Uh, both of them, my brother and his wife, um, like I said, my brother's an engineer and his wife, Stacy was uh, uh, an army uh, firefighter. So essentially three uh, army engineers, you know, living together. And uh, I continued to self-medicate and self-destruct. And, you know, I was on this mission that anybody that came near me, I was going to just destroy uh, anybody who tried to uh, talk to me or care for me in any way. I just didn't want to hear what anybody had to say. Um, So I was pretty close-minded. And this is like, this is... You know, whenever you're on this journey, whatever your journey is, you know, they say, you know, keep your eyes on the on the on the windshield, not the rearview mirror. But one thing I learned about that little rearview mirror is you take a glance up there because that's where you can see where God had boundaries in place that you didn't see before. And uh, those boundaries. um, So like leading into Mighty Oaks, um, I was leaving the VA hospital. And I made, I took a route that I normally didn't take, um, which took me to a place near 51st and Memorial in Tulsa. And 
there was this Mustang parked outside and it was wrapped in, it had, it was this Mustang and it was wrapped in um, like skulls and um, tridents, right? And I'm like, what is going on here? And just out of curiosity, I swung around and looked at this car. And when I circled around the back, it had U.S. Marine plates. So I'm like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I actually parked. It said Triton Fight Center. Um, and uh, man, something just something lured me in there. Um, I don't even know really what overcame me that day because I wasn't in a place where I would even want to meet a new person. Right. But something I was so curious about, what is that? Um, and what's this Marine doing? I went in, I met, a, there was a guy in there, Pete Wilhelm, and uh, it was a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy, Triton Fight Center. So I go in and this conversation uh, completely changed my life. Uh, and what Pete said to me was, he said, I can tell that you're a veteran and I have a special rate for veterans. And he said, you can train here or you can go away. And that was exactly what I needed someone to say. Immediately, I knew that this was this was a guy that I needed to have in my circle. Right. So, man, I started training under Pete Wilhelm, started training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And um, so from there, things are getting better because I'm no longer drinking or self-medicating. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu has really become my new addiction and that's become replacement therapy and well, replacement conditioning is a better term. So, um, man, instead of grabbing alcohol, I'm grabbing a protein shake, make sure I'm hydrated. Anybody who's trained in that sport, and it's extremely intense. Like you have to be, you have to be all in, right? Um, with the recovery and, and everything that goes along with that, it's very demanding. So things are going well. I start competing. Um, a few years go by, and I'm I'm coaching um, adult submission wrestling, and I'm also uh, at the time I think I was running Pete's kids program, and this guy shows up named Chad Robichaud, uh, force reconnaissance marine who's a jujitsu black belt and he fought and held a title, um, in, uh, forgive me. I can't remember if it was legacy or title. Um, but, uh, one of those big brands, he was a well-known MMA fighter. So he shows up and, uh, he invites, he invites me out to this place in California and he explains it like basically, Hey, it's faith-based and it's this ranch for veterans come out for a week and hang out with us. And at the time my mindset was, uh, well, first of all, I'm an agnostic. And I don't want to I don't want to hear any of that. And also, I don't want to be around veterans. So uh, I'm keeping them at arm's distance. No, thank you. Or I'll check it out or whatever. And I continue to encounter him. I get uh, he came back in the future for more seminars. I would I would see him at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu tournaments and he would always throw that invitation out. And I would always you know respectfully decline or make an excuse. And then he eventually what he tells me is he's he's teaching Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to veterans. And he needs another black belt to come out and help him. So I agreed, okay, man, I'll come out. And, you know, I get there and uh, he was teaching jujitsu and he did need help. Right. But that wasn't the primary motive. You know, he, he knew that I needed, he knew I needed to go to this program. He knew I, that I needed help. And um, what I encountered there at Mighty Oaks was other, other combat veterans uh, who are presenting solutions from the Bible but it's in a way that I've never heard the Bible before. It's not that they're putting their own. It's not that they're getting creative with the Bible. I mean, it's it's 
it's scripturally sound. They're, they're reading from the Bible, but they're explaining it in a way that I can understand. They're talking about tactics and a common enemy that we all face and the tactics he uses against us and how they don't change. Um, and like what, how we need to respond, right. And how we need to put up a perimeter and uh, all this is scriptural based. Like they can tell me this and then they can take me to the scripture. And, um, man, it was, you know, it was through that, uh, man, I started praying. I gave my life to Christ. I was baptized there. And then immediately two months later, I was back and going, uh, through the leadership program. So that was what, that's how I got from point A to point B. And that's how I'm in and part of this brotherhood, uh, the mighty Oaks warrior program. Okay. So for, before we, before we bust down the door on mighty Oaks, let's back up here a little bit. And I, cause I want to hear more about that week. Uh, I, I feel sure, like yeah. we are leaving a lot on the table here. So you're, you go out there under the guise of, Hey, I'm just going to do some rolling around and some jujitsu training, teaching alongside my mentor. And you realize you look up and realize, Hey, I've been duped a little bit. Is that fair? I mean, I, I got, I got, I got snowed into this deal. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. Uh, so one of the first things you experience uh, when you get there is, you know, the, the first day, the, uh, the opening breakout or the, the first, um, the first encounter, you know, as, as a group. And there's usually between 12 and, and 20 new students at a program. An instructor, you know, a, a hardened combat veteran covered in tattoos, you know, with a big beard, you know, he, he gets up and, and he, he tells his story very open and honestly. And, um, you know, he may, you know, he'll, he'll talk about a combat experience, but what's really, what's, what really takes you back is it'll sound something like, okay, that's what I did in the military and that's how I got hurt. Uh, that was my experience, but let me back up and explain why was I in the military to begin with? And then he goes back and tells some traumatic experience as a child that you would never expect to come out of this, you know, this uh, ultimate alpha male's mouth and his openness to share this trauma and what he experienced in that abuse and his openness. And you sit back and go, oh, this is what we're going to talk about. Um, so that's what that means. So when Reed Hasty's sitting there listening to this story, when, when you're finally cornered and you're set down, you got, if I, if my guess is wrong here, tell him, just tell me to go get bent, but your skin's probably crawling. You're twitching. You're like, what in the hell am I doing here? And you're hearing this story and it's becoming very uncomfortable and something's happening inside of you. Uh, is, is that fair? Am I getting close? Yeah, man, that's definitely a throttle up. You know, I'm feeling the throttle go up on the intensity and, um, this isn't just going to be teaching jujitsu. This is not going to be surface level right. stuff. Like we're going to, we're going to get down on, get down into it. So, okay. I've gotten here and I got a seat. Um, you know, bu buckle up here, you know, here we go. Um, and I'm also looking around and saying, you know, there's, you know, these guys pray before dinner. I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm willing, I'm willing to listen. Um, and then they just start, you know, they start feeding you. And even if, you know, you're an atheist or agnostic, you can take this information and say, okay, if you don't, you don't believe in this supernatural side, are you willing to open your mind and listen and read this doctrine and this scripture? That's, are you, are you willing to read these historical documents uh, about post-traumatic stress disorder from 3000 years ago? Are you willing to try it? Because 
and this is a question that we ask basically anybody that shows up. Uh, if what you're doing now isn't working, are you willing to try something new? Yes or no? How hard was it to receive that question and say, yeah, what I'm doing right now is not working? Yeah, that wasn't the most difficult question. I'll tell you, probably the most difficult question is, is the other question that we ask is, do you want to be well? Ah, uh, great question. That's the other. That's the other question that we ask. That we ask guys, do you want to be well? And you would think like that's is that a rhetorical mm -hmm. question? Uh, but the truth is, is that's a question that takes some pause because, well, why wouldn't someone want to be well? Because there's a lot of implications, man. There's a lot of responsibilities with being well, right? The easiest thing, the thing in the world you can actually do, in my opinion, is. Uh, constantly be focused on you and your problems for, for the most part. Um, of course, you can always fake it and be the guy that's, oh, I'm going to go out and help everybody else and let me fix your problems. Well, that's a mask, right? But that question, back to that question, do you really want to be well? That's a, that's a challenging question. So no doubt there was probably uh, likely a crucial, nearly, nearly always there's some crucial uh, pivotal point in a person's transition into recovery uh, to where they say, okay, this is it. It's like the, it's like the brick wall falls something. It was, was that it? Was that the moment when you actually said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. I'm fixing to live my life different. I'm fixing, I'm fixing to get on this train. Yeah. Was that the moment? It was somewhere about, it was about, it was about halfway, about halfway through that week. Uh, Wednesday's like over the hump in, in the middle of that program. What is that? What did that look like? Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? about how hard that was sure by the, by the time wednesday comes man your your brain is completely fried you've had so much information brought to you and so much stuff that you've been basically i don't want to say forced to deal with but uh there's been so much presented and so much of going from surface level problems and digging down to root issues and it's it's exhausting uh for the new student and for the team leaders man it's uh it's quite mentally and emotionally uh, draining you know it was i you know, it was, this has been a long time ago uh, and I've been to so many programs since then. But what I remember is like setting down to eat. Um, I believe it was like Thursday morning. Like, man, I just felt this call to pray. Right. And I uh, started praying. That was like the zenith or that was like the zenith of, of that transition of, okay, man, I've got to do this thing they're talking about. They're talking about taking off the old man and putting on the new man. They talked about baptisms, so I took that as, oh, okay, so we're going to take off that old man, we're going to drown him. So I'm in for that. So let's hold him underwater. So I was baptized there. And, you know, I'd had, um, I'll use that word, religious experience, you know, as as a child. And, you know, I'd, I'd been in and out of church. I didn't grow up in the church, but I wasn't completely alien to it. But I had never really, I'd never really opened a Bible, right? I never read the Bible. I didn't understand it. Uh, I just knew, you know, I'd, I'd been invited to church before. So this was all, it was, it was all um, like, you know, they say drinking from fire hose, what our uh, firemen friends would say, right? Drinking from a fire hose. But um, I wasn't just on my own either. Uh, at Mighty Oaks, there's a, there's a structure, as you can imagine, because it's, 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 it's veterans that, that, you know, hold this and put this together. Uh, you know, you go through and there's a, you have a, you have a team that you go through with. And in that team, there's a team leader, you know, who's, he's there to, to guide everyone through the classes that we go through and then we break those down afterwards. We have what we call breakout groups and he's there to, to lead that. So it's designed where um, it's designed and it happens organically. You know, when you go through with guys, um, you know, you build a relationship with them and, you know, as life hits you, you contact them. If it gets too heavy, 
you know, there's a team leader there. You know, and that model is even is even biblical, man. Two are better than one for there's a great reward in their labor. And it, there's a great reward in their labor. If one should follow the others there to lift up his companion. And it goes on to say that uh, uh, further down in, in, in that chapter, it goes on to say that, um, you know, a threefold cord is not easily broken. So you start, uh, you know, with your corner man and then you bring in a team leader and then each session has a mentor. And that mentor is there for those greater and deeper um, biblical questions, you know, those uh, really difficult ones. And that's what he's there for. So eventually, if you got to bring in the mentor and then he says, you know, this is like after you come back home from the program and you talk to him and you hey, man, I'm really having trouble with my marriage. You know, he evaluates that and, OK, let's plug you in. Let's get you a biblical based marriage counselor or I'm still dr- I'm still struggling with alcoholism. OK, let me uh, let me find a biblical based uh, group like, uh, you know, at many of the churches, there's a, uh, there's an addiction group. I forgot the name of it, uh, but very common celebrate in, recovery. In, in church. So let's plug you into this group. Is that, you're referring to cel- celebrate recovery or are you referring to that's Yeah, I think so. I think that's it. So that's how it's, that's how it's structured. Now, uh, there's personal responsibility. If you want to disappear and go off the radar again, as you know, you, you can certainly do that. Uh, but the structure's there. So just like, you know, it says in neon behind you, no one, no one fights alone. Cause that's what the enemy wants us to do, right? He wants us to be isolated. Um, and then that's where you get taken down because in isolation, that's where you get pushed into hopelessness in that week. We used to call that week, that intense week. We used to call that the fight club. Uh, and then we decided to change it to the legacy program because guys like me are showing up with geese or, or boxing gloves. And, um, <laughs> you know, so, um, it, it's now referred to as the mighty Oaks legacy program. Because that's ultimately what we're building is is, is a legacy uh, for these men, and and really what you know your legacy, you know, for so many veterans, and I, you know, I'm sure police officers and, and our and our other first responders, our firefighters, you know, you can fall victim to this too, where it's like um, my legacy is my military career. Though we're you know though we're, we're rooted in the military, we're a, you know people recognize this as a military and now a military law enforcement uh, fire and IMSA ministry, what we really want that to be for a man is just one little, and, and, uh, and like an, oh yeah, in his, in his obituary someday and in his legacy, like your legacy should be, he was a God fearing man. He loved, he loved Jesus. This man served in his church. He was a father and a husband and a grandfather. And, uh, this is everyone that he helped. Oh yeah. And did I mention he was in, he was in the military also, it should be a very small part of your legacy. And I know that's hard to, hard to hear because that can be such a big part. And we're wrapped up in that identity. We want you to serve the Lord in a way that's so big that that military service is just a, just a part. It's just an, Oh yeah. Did we mention that he was also, you know, in the service, you know, ultimately we want a guy uh, and, and the women also in the, I, sorry, I'm gonna have to ask for forgiveness. When I always, I keep referring to men, I work in the men's ministry and I don't mean to exclude our ladies, because everything that I'm saying, also, we have the Women's Legacy Program as well for our um, military first responders and also the wives of uh, soldiers, Marines, uh, service members. Yeah, that's an important point. I, 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 it's on, on the website. I have that page pulled up, which is uh, a, strong, uh, you know, a strong bill towards both a men and a women's program. The No One Fights Alone podcast is excited to announce the launch of our new merchandise line. Now you can show your support for our mission by purchasing one of our hats, shirts, or hoodies. Our merchandise not only represents our brand and message, but also supports a great cause. 
A portion of all proceeds will go towards helping individuals and families affected by mental health. Wearing our merchandise not only spreads awareness for our podcast, but also serves as a reminder that no one has to fight alone. Join us in showing your support and spreading the message of hope and community by purchasing one of our No One Fights Alone items today from our website, nofapodcast.com, nofapodcast.com. So if I circle us back here to, I'm going to take us out of your story here a little bit, and I'd love to hear more about the program. Well, let's come back to your story because I want to hear kind of the what's going on now portion of your story. But in the meantime, I think this is a good place just to say, here's Mighty Oaks. Here's here's what we do, all facets of it. Because you mentioned uh, to me, you have the this local perspective, this national perspective, and now international perspective. Who are they? What do they do? I mean, you talked about Chad. Uh, building this program, give us the give us the whole lowdown on it. Just absolutely amazing program. Sure, I think we covered that that legacy, that national program. So I'll talk about locally. We have we call them outpost. So what an outpost is, we see it as uh, well. First, it's the easiest way I could describe it. If I was encountering you at the gym, said, "Hey, man, come to my outpost." It's basically a one hour Bible study for veterans and first responders. Um, so it's only veterans and first responders in there and we're breaking down the, we're breaking down the Bible and also we're checking in with each other and we're holding each other accountable. It's like, what's that look like? Um, like how do we hold each other accountable in the outpost groups? Well, there's this verse in the Bible, Acts two forty two. it says we remain steadfast in the apostles teaching, the apostles teaching, uh, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. So from those four things, we see this. We call it a 4B perimeter, uh, be in the word, be in church, be in prayer and be in touch with your cornermen, men that you're equally yoked with, right? Other Christian men. So those four things. And, you know, it's easy, that's easy for me to wrap my mind around as an engineer uh, because fortification, that was, you know, that was my job. You know, if you have four, you know, if you got those four wires, if one of them's down, the enemy's getting in. So you have to walk that perimeter every day and we have to hold each other accountable on that every day. So how do we hold, what's that look like practically or pragmatically? Uh, man, I take a lot of calls from a lot of veterans. Um, you know, sometimes I'm the guy that needs to make the phone call to somebody else too. Right. And when somebody calls me and things aren't going right. Um, and I got four questions for them. First, tell me what you're reading in the Bible right now. What, what chapter and what are you studying the Bible? And were you in church Sunday? Uh, when's the last time you prayed and when's the last time you sat down and had coffee or lunch? Uh, with your corner man and never, man, it's never, Hey man, everything was going well. And then I'm, um, I'm pulled back into pornography or I'm drinking again, or I yelled at my wife and I blew up. I lost, you know, I lost my temper on my kids, man. I need, you know, I need you to talk me through that. I need you to pray with me. Well, never do those things happen. And yeah, I had all four of those checked. That doesn't happen. Right. Something is some, one of those wires is down every time. Now I'm not talking about externalities, you know, uh, we're outside the wire here. Um, we're outside the Garden of Eden and bad things happen to good people. But I'm talking about like those heart issues, those those type of failures, those stumbles. Something that something is down on the wire. So back to that local thing, you know, we have outposts here in, in Tulsa and, and Oklahoma, where in, in many different locations, it's led by an outpost leader. And you come in and sit down for that hour. You know, if anybody's hearing this and, and I would encourage you to come in and, and audit it if you're a veteran or a first responder, one hour commitment, see what it's about. If you're not ready to make that leap and go to our, our legacy program. 
So that's that's on the local side. If we're if we're I mean if you're looking at uh, because we have uh, listeners all across the United States, outposts. Where would they find an outpost locally, or how would they find uh, if they were interested in doing uh, being connected somehow to uh, an outpost? Uh, I know we have them here in Oklahoma. Sure, the easiest way is to go to our websites, and I don't know if there's a way to plug that into your notes later. MightyOaksPrograms.org and look under aftercare. And there's a list of national outposts and there'll be a contact, there'll be contact information. Now, um, with that being said, nationwide, we only have 40 outposts in the nation. The reason that is, is because what goes into an outpost, there's basically no way to build one of those except for organically. A guy goes through our program and he's got to have a call and he's got to have the skill set to be a leader. And this particular type of leadership, which is dealing with trauma, and he goes back to a, his home church and he builds the outpost. So, so far since we began, that's happened That's happened 40 times. Um, most of them are concentrated actually in Oklahoma. Pretty awesome though, because I'm sitting here looking at, uh, you know, Woodland, Texas, Vista, California, Bakersville, California, uh, Wichita, Kansas, East Troy, Wisconsin, Medford, Oregon, West Monroe, Louisiana. I mean, Wow. This is, this is, Reed, this is amazing. Jacksonville, uh, North Carolina, Meridian, Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I mean, you, right? This is pretty impressive. Yeah. And we're, and we are, uh, you know, we're continuing to ex- hit the accelerator on that without lowering the standards also. So what is, you know, that's, you know, what if you're, what if you're not in an area that has an outpost? Uh, two solutions. One, just jump into our legacy program. There's no cost to you. We cover the flight. We cover everything. The application process is very easy. It's like a five minute application. We made the application as easy as possible. We'll ask you to de- up, we'll ask you to upload one document, your DD two fourteen or or some piece of paperwork that shows you were a first responder, and then our coordinators will book you a flight. They take care of everything. Uh, it's not a reimbursement of a flight. We, we booked a flight. Um, and then the second is we are partnered with one group that is much larger than us, and it's called Reboot Recovery, which I'm, I'm, I know you're familiar with. So if we've got an, a guy in an area, uh, usually the backup plan is to hook them up with uh, Reboot Recovery uh, until they get into our program. There's so much on the website. I, I just keep referring back to the website. You guys have a, a, a brilliant, whoever put that together is Amazing. So it's easy to navigate. It's easy to look through everything you're talking about. I'm pulling this up uh, so quickly here, uh, but let's let's talk about your, uh, your the international space. We're going in and out of Ukraine. Uh, initially, we went in and we went in as a, you know like an exploratory and a, you know a feasibility workup. Uh, you know what's this going to look like? Because we have a we had a route into into Ukraine to do work over there, and initially we went in last August. And we connected with a, um, I would call them a a special operations group, um, uh, a a unit that was basically living literally underground. And we went in and stayed with those guys and began to minister to those guys. And the reason that we connected with them uh, on this journey, uh, we spoke to, you know, we went in and found engineering units, we found a chemical unit, um, and just started, you know, sharing the gospel with them. And um, talking to them about life after the war, uh, during war and also after war. But we connected with this this unit. Um, I won't give up their name, but 
Uh, I can tell you they were born out of an MMA academy uh, in Ukraine. So what happened was uh, one of the fighters in this gym was killed by a Russian missile strike. And the government comes to the coach of this gym and ask him to, to gather his men together and build a unit. So this gym goes through the Ukrainians ver the Ukraine version of what basic training would be, you know, a quick spun up and got them, you know, got them trained up and uh, they're running operations. Now, what was a What was a, an MMA Academy is now a unit uh, running operations in Ukraine. And um, uh, those guys actually just took a lot of casualties uh, and, a, and a lot of injuries uh, over there just in the last month. Uh, but initially we had adopted them and we connected with them because, you know, we show up, you know, Chad Robichaud and I and Hunter Robichaud and some other guys. Um, but the three of us just happen to be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. So our ears are are chewed up. Right. So that was our that was our gateway uh, into building connections with this unit uh, is that we were fighters. Right. So they were willing to sit down and talk to us and we still have a connection there. But through a series of events that I can only you know describe as, you know, divine. In February, we were linked up with 30 chaplains and we, we got to speak to these chaplains. And then just recently we made a return and we put a group of chaplains. We, we were there with a group of army and police chaplains there in Ukraine. We put them through a, a brief, um, like a three day legacy program. So we just graduated our first legacy program in a war zone. And we taught them a streamlined version of our courses that we teach. And then we were able to, you know, to, to speak with them in groups and get an idea of what specifically they're struggling with over there uh, so that we can build uh, more specific courses or classes and training sessions for them. Uh, and we also do, um, well, we, 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 well, that's as far as I can go into that. But uh, while we were there, we also, uh, we also worked a couple of days with a group of CrossFit instructors in Ukraine. And those CrossFit instructors, why we, why we worked with them is because those CrossFit instructors work with injured Ukrainian soldiers. So there's a lot of anxieties and a lot of questions about that, that we were able to, you know, to walk them through and, and uh, connect with them as well. And moving forward, I'll just, since we're talking about Ukraine, like I know there's a lot of political opinions out there about Ukraine, what, you know, and people ask us, what are you doing over there? Right. Uh, why are you, why are you in the middle of that? Uh, because our friends are there and they're, they're dying and they, they need Jesus. Right. And our political stance is uh, we're going to spread the gospel to whoever we encounter there. I don't care if that's a Ukrainian soldier or a Russian POW, they're going to hear the gospel from me because or they're going to have the gospel from us. That's our niche. That's who we believe God has equipped us to, to minister to. And that's what we're going to do is, is to take that message over there. You know, this is so powerful, uh, Reed. This is, this is amazing. And, and I think one of the blurbs on your website that I, I find most fascinating is, is uh, this program's non-clinical, confidential, open environment, peer leadership led, uh, just, just absolutely. And I know I have some friends who have been through, um, the mighty Oaks program. Obviously you and I have had a conversation about that, uh, off offline from this conversation, but I think it needs to be revisited that, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had some friends that have been through the mighty Oaks, uh, program legacy program and changed their lives, changed their lives. Yeah. So I'll bring that life changing thing 
and we'll we'll use this to close the gate on the international if you'd like. Uh, but I almost I almost failed to mention this uh, because this part is a this is a testimony. Uh, to, this is this is this is God. Only God could do uh, what I'm about to share. Uh, so my my first trip over there, I was with uh, a couple of Navy SEALs and uh, uh, pararescue, and then a couple of and a couple of Marines. And what was interesting is those guys. I've worked with them for years through Mighty Oaks, and we have all we've we've stayed up and had a lot of conversations at night. You know about about trauma, right? And war trauma and life trauma. Um, and here's this group of guys. Um, this small team, we all ended up in Mighty Oaks. We all ended up at the Legacy Program. Their stories were similar to mine, off the rails, right? Um, suicidal, off the rails, uh, giving up on life, hopeless. And we went through the program, drew a line in the sand, and said, "We're not going to live like this anymore." And um, not only that, but we're going to help. We're going to help our brothers. And here we are, this group who has been through war trauma, and now these men I'm looking at over there. Are, have gone back into the war zone, experience experiencing state on state violence to spread the gospel, and just in just for in my personal life, I don't know that I've ever witnessed such a great testimony to the to the healing and the recovery that is only provided through Christ. I don't I don't know any I don't know of any other program I don't know of any other solution that can say that they've seen that. And for me to be able to witness that, you know, with those, with those men that I, that I've worked with for years and to see them over there and not only in combat, you know, um, I'm sorry, let me, let me, let me rephrase. It's not that we were in combat, but we were in a combat zone um, to be in that environment, not stumble, you know, at the sound of, at the sound of missiles. Uh, it was really something to behold. It's something that I'll never forget. What a powerful message, man. So let's let's close this up with coming back to read. Let, let's close this out with uh, um, read uh, since that week at uh, your well Fight Club <laughs> before you change the name, right? What what happened yeah. to you there? Catch us up now. Like how did that how did that transition happen? What what we saw what you looked like before. What does Reed look like today? And take us a little bit on that that yeah, journey. Sure. Well, like I said, um, you know, I started praying. I gave my life to Christ. I was baptized. I immediately returned and was connected to other Christians. And very quickly, you know, as we say, take off the old man, put on the new. You know, shed those old things away. Uh, what's What I would say is the new Reed still has a lot of problems, right? Um New Reed still has temptations and things he deals with, and he still uh, blows his top, and he still uh, gets angry, and he still uh, sticks his big foot in his mouth and says stupid things to his wife, and all those things, right? But what's the difference? Is like not like what's the difference is um, the differences are is a repenting heart, um, and then tools and solutions to continue to move forward. I'm surrounded by other believers who will hold me accountable. And I'll tell I mean, here's something specific I like to share. Like, what's that look, what's that really look like? You know, my, uh, this had been, this had been a few years ago, but, um, 
I was sitting at a coffee shop at our outpost meeting was at a coffee shop that night. And there was only three of us there, um, uh, a Navy veteran named Drew Spivey and a U.S. Army Ranger named Justin Pruitt. So the three of us were sitting down and I'm using them to I'm venting and I'm decompressing and I'm explaining that my wife and I had been in an argument and I'm really complaining. And um, after I got done with that. Uh, my friend Drew Spivey, the Navy guy, I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he said, have you thought about how you're going to apologize? And <laughs> I love to share that specific response from Drew because in that moment, he was more focused on the big picture of my marriage than I was. And that goes back to this whole thing about why we use the term corner man is because when you're in a fight, you don't have the same perspective, like you're taking the beating, but your corner man on the outside of the cage you know, he can see that you're getting weak with your, you know, your hook and, um, you know, that you're slow on the sprawls and you're getting, you know, your takedown game is looking weak. He, he has a different perspective from the 30,000 foot view or the outside the cage view. Um, so in that moment, you know, that was that was Drew and Justin. And that's the that's what I would say is the biggest difference, because, you know, my old friends would have said, well, let's fix that by going and getting a drink because uh, they don't they don't really care about your marriage. But in that moment, those guys were more concerned about, you know, the my legacy and the eternal uh, perspective of something as silly as an argument. Right. Uh, and that was their admonishment and that we're going to hold you accountable. And it's what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear, because the whole world will tell you what you want to hear. But real uh, Bible believing, God fearing men will tell you what you need to hear uh, for your own good. And uh, that goes back to, you know, the Bible says to be equally yoked. Uh, don't be don't be unequally yoked with with non-believers. Um, and that can sound kind of harsh, but we're not operating off of the same baseline. I need to be counseled off of, off of that. I need somebody to put the Bible in front of me and say, we agree on this, right? OK, then this is where I'm going to get the information from. So you're not arguing with me. This isn't, you know. If I'm counseling somebody or, or, or just trying to help somebody, you're not arguing with me, man. This is what the Bible says. So this isn't personal. Um, and because of that, like our, our mentoring and what happens in that week is so fast and so accelerated, you know, because we're all working off like, okay, we were all in the military here. Can we get off of that now? So we all know how to talk to each other. Hey, this is what, this is what's wrong. This is where your perimeter's down. You need to sure that up. Um, so, um, you know, we've identified that wires down. You need to get back in your Bible and you need to call me in three days. Right. It's kind of like, uh, it reminds me of, of, of a personal trainer saying, okay, you want to talk about your weight management? You need to go two weeks without having a drink of a pop or a soda. And then we'll talk about your weight management until then. We're not going to go there. You know, it's, I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but it's, you know, it's similar to that. Like if you're not reading your Bible, man, it's going to be, what am I, what am I counseling you from? Like, what, what do we even have agreement on? You know, so many times on the, on the conversations that we have here on the no one fights alone podcast, we have this, this, um, we, it seems like we revisit the accountability piece many, many times. Uh, if you're really looking at living a life of peace and serenity and not being owned by something that, that, you know, this, this hopeless, helpless, worthless feeling that you have, uh, there has to be some accountability play in here. And I hear that coming out, uh, I, and I'm, I'm 
kind of more paraphrasing where you're going with this and correct me if I'm wrong here, Reed, but this, uh, you know, the wires you're referring to the four B's. Wow. That's, that's such a great, uh, you know, delivery system of, of shoring that up. And if I get it right, it's, it's, uh, be in the Bible, be in church, be in prayer and be in your group. Right. So did I get that right? Yeah. Be in touch with your So, 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 I mean, the accountability piece to those four, uh, pieces or institutions or, uh, connections is, uh, amazingly powerful. Yeah. So if, if people wanted to find mighty Oaks and learn more about it, where would they go? How, let, let's, let's kind of close this up, clean this up with giving, uh, giving you the opportunity to just to say, here's where we find everything. If, if people wanted to find, uh, mighty Oaks, uh, find out anything about how to do this week long legacy program or be involved or even get a hold of you. How do they do that? How do they do all that? So the the one stop the one stop shop is the website mightyoaksprograms.org. And uh, if somebody's got a specific question, you can send me an email. It's simply read R E E D at mightyoaksprograms.org. That's awesome. Any social media uh, plugs you want to put in there you got uh, Facebook Instagram any of those that that uh, that Mighty Oaks has got you want to take a look at or just steer them to the website yeah uh, go directly to the website I personally do not have any social media at all but of course our we have a social media team sorry I don't have that I wouldn't even know how to find it <laughs> but I know if you go onto Facebook or the Twitters or the or the, the face space <laughs> or whatever the kids use these days whatever that uh, socialist media stuff is if you go on there, uh, just to put in Mighty Oaks Foundation or Mighty Oaks Warrior Program, and you'll be able to you'll be able to track. You still down. have MySpace? Is that what you're working off of? Yeah, yeah man, it's uh, pretty lonely. <laughs> <up there. laughs> Reed, this has been an awesome conversation, man. Thank you so much uh, for uh, jumping on and telling us uh, a little bit about it, Mighty Oaks. Uh, can't thank you enough, and uh, yeah, uh, appreciate you coming around. Yeah, man. God bless you and keep you. If you're a veteran or a first responder out there. Man, if you're if what you're doing isn't working, man, come try it out. There's no cost. Uh, there's no pressure. We won't shove anything down your throat. Are you open minded enough to let me read uh, to let us read, you know, the words of David, who was a combat veteran and what he had to say about post-traumatic stress disorder? It's found in Psalms, chapter six, starting at verse six. If you want to do your own uh, your own uh, research into that. But that's where we would go. And uh, yeah, man, that's it. Thanks for having us on. And- Such a great final, great message. Yeah, thank you for making thank you for making space for Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs. Glad to have you. Chateau Health and Wellness is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's first responder resiliency program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Health and Wellness is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, 
It is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information or to speak to a representative, go to ChateauRecovery.com or call 888-507-5031.